Hello, and welcome to the DOS Champions Soccer Podcast. I'm joined by my good friend, Alex Weinstein. Alex, how you doing today? Dude, I'm doing all right. It's uh, it's a grind, 8 to 5, and then I get the pleasure of doing this, and I'm feeling good about being here. Yes, the pleasure. Um, it is a pleasure to be here with you. We got a, and when I say you, I don't just mean my friend Alex here, all of our, our audience as well. We got an exciting episode here. It is EPL match day review for match day seven. Uh, and then because the international break is happening, we're going to go into a little bit of a, a more, where does the league sit? What do our power rankings look like currently? And then uh, then get to the end. But uh, I just want to remind everybody, uh, check us out on Twitter, especially during the games on for the EPL. We are posting all the time. We'd love to connect with you guys on there and see what you think about some of the opinions that we end up posting. Um, even as recently today, I had a just an entertaining little question popped up. I don't know, Alex, if you, you ended up seeing this one. Oh, yeah. The, the Chelsea FC USA account, not that either of us are Chelsea fans, but it's always interesting to engage in these type of things. Uh, they they just said, um, you get to build your all-time Chelsea starting 11. Who's on it? And I didn't I even like directly answer the question necessarily, but this, this thing kind of gave me some food for thought here. For whatever reason, when I was looking through all these people's best 11s, the central midfield... I, I, I had a manual Petit uh, jump into my mind, and this is he's a this is decades ago, you know, two decades, and there's I don't know that he slots in. He didn't play on the team for that long, but God, that guy was a hell of a player. People were all over Michael Essien in that comment board. Yeah, which which to me is weird because like watching him through that era, he was a significant part of those successful Chelsea teams, but he wasn't there like right at the very, very beginning with Jose. And I know Jose really liked him, but Essien lined up at like right defense quite a bit for them. And he lined up in the midfield. I, I remember him having some like uh, intermittent uh, injury problems as well mm -hmm. and not always being in the squad. But then I looked at the total number of games he played and I was like, oh, damn, he played a lot for them. Um, but I'm not sure if he's one of Chelsea's best like central midfielders from the last few decades. It's uh, it's difficult to even crack that. So the likelihood yeah. that he wouldn't be the guy is super high. But but yeah, uh, everyone, we're gonna we're gonna get into it now with uh, some of the actual EPL stuff. But check us out on on Twitter and see what we're getting up to with uh, with some of the chicanery. But uh, yeah, let's get into our, our match day seven. We're going to start it out early Saturday morning. I was up for this. You were up for this. Oh, yeah. Alex, um, Everton, they visited Manchester United. We ended up with a 1-1 draw here. Uh, where do you want to begin? I think like beginning is just what did it, what did it mean for each of these teams? And Everton are really they're in a really weird position without Richarlison and DCL. I fully expect them to go out and uh get a new striker in the next transfer window. Um although where they're at in their revenues may um inhibit that move. Um but Rondon is like not the 
he's he's not the guy and it's almost as if they're like playing a man down when he's up there um he's he's not even he's not even match fit um yeah he didn't look sharp no he's he's looked really bad the entire time but for everton to go in there and get a like everton maybe should have won the game um if davies didn't try to cross the ball of uh, to a player in an offside position they probably would have won but i was uh, everton pulled off a result that probably nobody expected them to pull off and it was a great result for them and it was we said this going into the game if manchester united got anything other than a win against a strongly weakened everton team that always would be in his seat would be hot yeah and it's an extremely disappointing result for manchester united and um it as we predicted it's creating some problems for ole yeah it, it is um i I want to touch on that, but first I want to mention that um, like Martial, the finish on his goal was really, really nice. But the part of that play, I think I was most impressed by was Bruno. Actually, mm-hmm. the way the guy is able to stay so calm, suck in the defense and then play off that nice little ball to just make it. So Martial has a clean strike on it and buries it was that was it's really impressive. And sometimes you, you see a guy that looks like, you know, everything is moving slow for him. And, and Bruno tends to be that guy. Um, yeah. You know, it was interesting because Taylor Twelman, as much as I don't agree with all of his takes, um, he, he said the exact same thing. He, he mentioned, you know, what Bruno did in that midfield was absolutely fantastic. And uh, he got some grief for mentioning that, you know, Bruno really created an incredible, uh, series of events there. And um, a lot of people were grilling Taylor for saying, well, that seemed like simple distribution. Like what's so great about that? But it was a lot more than just the pass. It was yeah, the way he received the ball. And yeah, there's a, there's a manipulation of space and, and time <laughs> yeah. uh, that, that is going on there that shows an, how good Bruno is and how comfortable he is on the ball. So yeah, I really, I enjoy seeing players play like that. Uh, and somebody else I really enjoyed through this game is Everton's goal scorer, Andrews Townsend, man, like, or Andros Townsend. He, yeah. he's a grinder. Those, when I watched him during this game, you see, he does all kinds of the, like the little professionalism type things. Well, um, whether it's, it's staying calm in certain situations or being annoying to an opponent in key situations that maybe slightly slow down how fast they throw the ball in or restart the kick um and the way he tracks back and obviously the finish uh but but gosh like what a signing he's he's been for for everton um and for for free as well yeah i mean right there with him is damari gray and like townsend decore and gray were like the they were the guys who combined on that last on that on that second goal for Everton and um it was it was really quite the um it's quite the play by Damari Gray to receive the ball and body off the defender that could have otherwise won it I think he bodied off Fred and by the time he had bodied off Fred I think the entire Manchester United team realized that they needed to well he distributed it to Decore and at that point I think they realized they needed to foul somebody in the midfield and Luke Shaw came out of position too. And that that goal is somewhat on Luke Shaw. I mean, he was he was grossly out of position on that play. Um, and as they went to follow Decore, Townsend was wide open. But it was the combination of those three players. And like 
Townsend's been a godsend. So has Damari Gray, and I texted you during this game. DeCorey's been one of the best midfielders in the EPL, straight up. Um, I I texted you if you were building a team, who would you take today, him or Pogba? And your answer was, it depends on formation. In some cases, Pogba, in some cases, DeCorey. And that answer is telling enough of how great of a season he's had. Yeah, if I'm not like outright saying, well, Pogba every time, obviously. Absolutely. Yeah, it kind of shows where, where things are at. But um, on to the rumblings in the United camp. I have to note that you, you pointed this out as soon as Ronaldo came to the team. And we had talked about Ole C being hot before the season even began. And Manchester's Manchester United's mismanagement of money signing him to a deal before the season started. So we, we had been forecasting this for a long time. Yeah, um, I think for me, it ended up just getting breaking down to like Ronaldo is a winner. He doesn't tolerate fools like he wants to win. He's only got so many years left. If things don't go well, there's no way this guy stays quiet. That's right. And um, it feels like it's kind of it's festering. It's getting a bit bigger here. Uh, I read an article that said, you know, Sir Alex is basically was like, well, you got to play your best players. Like, why isn't questioning why Ronaldo didn't start? Basically, another article saying five senior players are discontent. Uh, there are, I guess, more or less rumors at this point in time. But it is um, it's going to be difficult for Ole unless he just they bang out a bunch of results and win a trophy. There's none there. Nothing less than winning trophies is, is acceptable for Cristiano Ronaldo. And that mentality is spreading throughout the locker room is actually like what Very United want. Yeah, yeah. But it will run into direct conflict with underachievement. That's and, uh, that's a, you're hundred percent right. And we'll see, we'll see how it goes. Anything but, uh, else? Oh, I'll note this last thing that I think that's the most important point, and I hate to end on this note, but um, uh, Gordon, I think. Oh he, yeah, yeah. He's okay. um he's impressing. Yeah, Gordon's impressing for Everton. Um, da- uh, Tom Davies is starting to phase out of the team. I've noticed that more and more, and I've I've said for a while Tom Davies isn't the type of player that you have on a top four EPL team. He's not a midfielder. You have maybe he's a guy coming off the bench in dire situations but he's probably not even that. Um, Gordon has been a very, he's a very athletic player. Um, He's been playing on the wing mostly for Everton, which is like somewhat of a low risk position. But what I've noticed about him is his, um, his headspace in the game when he fouls people, how active he is, how mobile he is, is making him an enticing option for Everton moving forward. So he's a riser coming out of that game for me. Nice. Yeah, I did like what I saw out of him as well, but I don't think I've been noticing quite as long as you had. Um, But yeah, on that note, Wolves and Newcastle is the next game that we have on our list here. This one was at 9 a.m. on Saturday. Oh, uh, sorry, briefly before we move on, I guess, from Man United, Everton. um, Everton, they host West Ham next and United visit Leicester. So just a... Those are two very... Yeah, those are two very good games. Yeah, they, they really should be. Uh, anyways, on to Wolves and Newcastle. So um, those goals by by Huang were very good. And like Raul's assists were really good too. I, I didn't watch this one live, but I watched back the highlights. I was very, I was really impressed. It So uh, Huang played for Salzburg and then he's on loan currently from Leipzig. 
he was really impressive to me against Liverpool in the Champions League when uh, Leipzig visited um, Liverpool. So I'm not that surprised to see this guy doing well, but gosh, do Wolves need it right now, especially with Pedro Neto down. Yeah, and um, you had mentioned this a few weeks ago um, when Raul Jimenez was going through his drought that as soon as he started scoring goals, it was just going to click with him. Yeah. And that's exactly what happened. And, you know, I don't, I'm not a Altree fan, but I'm happy for the dude. And it really is clicking for him. And Wolves have been generating, I feel like they've been generating off, uh, uh, opportunities, but they're not translating to goals scored. And yeah, maybe nice that, that there's happen. certain little rubber hit the road situation with some of that here. And That's it, right. should, it should turn into more and more as they move forward. I think both of us were a little nervous about Wolves and we're becoming less and less nervous now. Yep. Uh, but but on the other side of this game's coin, Newcastle are... Whew, They're in they, trouble. Yeah, they, they cannot... They can't win games... Um, they have very few points. They haven't played against particularly tough teams. They're going to be they're going to be staving off relegation if not getting relegated this year. At this point, we'll talk more about that uh, at the end of the pod. Mm-hmm. Uh, but next game on the list here, another nine a.m. Saturday one uh, is Leeds and Watford. Um, this is Leeds' first win, and they got a clean sheet. So this has got to be a huge moment for them moving forward. Uh, the big news though, I feel like regarding at least these two teams, aside from Leeds, um, Leeds winning for the first time is Watford's new coach. Cause the, that's the big news. Yeah. Everybody like, you know, Claudio Ranieri is well regarded for a very good reason. I mean, what he did with Lester, we will never see again in all likelihood. Uh, he obviously knows what it takes to get a team where they need to be and Watford should feel very lucky to get him in. Uh, I mean, shit, Claudio Ranieri was even the coach of Chelsea before Jose Mourinho and he wasn't a bad coach there. It's just Chelsea got real good after you left. So it doesn't kind of look as good in comparison. Yeah. Um, he's got a track record. All right. Yeah. He's a, he's, I want to say that he uh, did something and you know what? I probably shouldn't speak on this, but there was some European continental team that he took, far in one of the one of the European competitions that just they had no right to get as far as they did uh but anyways he's an impressive coach Watford should stabilize pretty well with his presence it's it's something to watch here and I I think this also will inform more of our relegation discussion later because Watford this is a this is a plus for them in terms of risk of um relegation in my mind at least I agree all right, so now into uh, one of the big teams' games here. Not that United's not a big team. They're just, you know, incapable of performing like one. Uh, <laughs> Chelsea versus Southampton. Um, uh, being Americans, we are obligated to say Christian Pulisic did not participate in this game. We will update you when we, when we know I think more. His injury, I think his injury was a lot worse than people understand. Um, I think also that they don't F around and that they're not going to put him out there unless he's capable of performing at the levels that they need. And they, they just don't, they're, you know, they're also going to need him at the end of the year. Yeah. They can't this, risk perpetual injury with him. 
Exactly. And he's had those issues before, so they're they're probably going to play it safe with him all all the time. But speaking of like him being out, it's not just him being out, you know, it, it they have been struggling to get mountain to form. Uh, what Conte is out with COVID right now. Mm-hmm. Um, gosh, there's a lot of a lot of issues that they're they're having and they're very depleted. Like Kai Havet's form isn't that great. Um, they started with Werner. Uh, Ruben Loftus Cheek, Chalaba. They're digging deep in the squad. For fuck's sake, man, they brought Ross Barkley on later into the game. Everton like, represent. Yeah, I guess so. Uh, but like, but like, they still came away with the win, which is great. Uh, you had noted about uh, Chalaba and his extreme efficiency in terms yeah. of shots on goal. Yeah, in the first half, I mean, he had basically two shots and two goals at Stanford bridge. And uh, he's, uh, he's an interesting player because he, he can play in the midfield and he can play in the defense and um, his integration into the squad almost seems it's almost seamless. Yeah. Like, it's it's crazy how, how good he's been. Mm-hmm. And where did he come? He came out of nowhere, you know? They're, yeah. their Academy or whatever. And mm-hmm. Tuchel is a really demanding coach. And you know, a lot of his stuff is like, we got to play the system really well and he's very defensive so you imagine usually that type of thing leans or works against younger inexperienced players. So that just makes what Chalaba is doing even more impressive. Yeah. Um, James Ward Prowse. Do you like that? Uh, that little uh, tag he gave Jorginho on the back of his ankle. Yeah, that was nice. <laughs> like uh, that, that was definitely a red card. Um, I don't think you can have too many arguments about all of that. <laughs> No. Uh, no. So where's Lukaku been? Um, in my opinion, uh, he's they're just like not integrating him into the system well. Like the way that they used him initially was a super um it was a super basic and elementary form of using him and it may have thrown teams off originally or at least in the first few games, but it's not a super difficult idea to defend against Lukaku if they continue to use him in the same way. It's like, yes, he's going to body up your center back and he's going to try to turn them or he's going to try to distribute and he's a big body, but all you have to do is cut off the passing lane and they need to find innovative ways to use him. I don't think it's been his performance that's been poor. I just think it's his integration into the team and the team's use of him and the injuries that they're facing aren't making it particularly easy to find a flow. And the players that are around him aren't the ideal. I, I personally feel like Pulisic is the exact type of player you want around him. And Pulisic hasn't been good to go. Um, so I think it's a combination of things. But it's mostly related to the style in which they're deploying him. Yeah. Um, there's a funny moment. At least it was funny to me where... Um, and and we'll, we'll call him this every so often. Uh, so, a little sexy team of Verder time stealing that Lukaku goal. But how much different would the question about Lukaku be if, you know, Werner would have just not been that bit too sexy for Lukaku. Uh, <laughs> team of Werner's too sexy for Lukaku goals. <laughs> yeah, exactly. No, like, it's just interesting because I probably wouldn't ask the where's Lukaku gone question if he was the one putting that tap in. And so, um, right. 
you know, just to give some credence to your assessment of Lukaku and where he has gone or has not gone, maybe more is the accurate way to interpret it. Uh, and then before I, I guess before we, I close out here on the Chelsea Southampton, that last goal for Ben Chilwell, like the sequence leading up to it, the multiple post hits and everything. And then it was like barely across the line. Uh, yeah, it was just a, a crazy enjoyable moment. You got to watch we'll, the EPL; it's great. We'll get into yeah, we'll get into power <laughs> rankings, but the, the it's reasons like these that I still have Chelsea at the top, like a super depleted squad, and they're just generating an overwhelming amount of offense. Yeah, and with a guy that's been like complaining about his playing time as well, getting a goal. So, ooh, this great. one here, Burnley and Norwich. Oh man, this was this was one of the. Uh, this is one of the ugliest games I've seen all season. I think the best, uh, the first data point to bring up is that there was four bookings in the first 25 minutes and five in the first 30. Um, there was only one game played on Saturday that had more bookings, and I think it was the Gladbach game. Um, but there were like seven bookings throughout the course of the game, and the, and the thing was just ugly. It was like two low-level boxers just punching each other over and over and over <laughs> using zero finesse. And it's like whoever can take the more the most punches is who's going to win. But no, neither one of these fighters is capable of throwing yeah. a knockout punch. It's like who's going to screw up first and who's just going to be like, I, I'm too tired of this. Yeah, it's but, like that Homer Simpson like boxing fight that he like. <laughs> But except for the both Homer Simpson. Yeah, that's exactly what it was like. And it, it was getting so bad that, like, um, the strikers would miss, like, point-blank opportunities on both teams. Thank God Josh Sargent was not one of them. But the strikers would miss these, like, point-blank opportunities where they wouldn't even put the ball in frame. And when they realized that they were offsides on the play, it was almost like an excuse to be like, hey, look, I don't suck. I was offsides anyway, so that doesn't count. Um, it was a really bad game. Um I will note that Burnley did get multiple VAR penalty PK checks in the first half. Wow. Um, they were the better team. Um, and again, going back to how ugly this was, there was a play where um, this this dude on Burnley um, went up for a PK and literally got double fisted in the face by the keeper, Cruel. So Vidra got double fisted in the face by Cruel. And like he got up like he was tough because he plays for Burnley and he probably is. But he was like running around the game with like a black eye. And then like finally they were probably like, hey, dude, you've got a mild to severe concussion. You probably need to come off. Um, and yeah, it's just an ugly game, all things considered. Norwich played almost entirely in their own half. That's really not a good sign for them against Burnley. Um, and we'll talk more about relegation picture as it well, currently sits later. But God, are they they're like right they're getting relegated, you know? Yeah. Well, they, 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 we'll talk about that in the relegation picture because the points have it as such that they're not entirely out. And Billy Gilmore wasn't in the squad. Um, I don't know what's going on with him. He's clearly either got like an injury or like health issue. Um, but they're actually points wise. They're not out of it. Like if they're able to somehow generate a few wins or even just like a few ties, especially based on what the early, phases of their schedule looked like they actually have a chance to not be relegated although they're on pace to be the worst team in epl history we have to keep in mind we're only at match day seven yeah no i was gonna say we're only seven games in so of course mathematically they're not eliminated by any means but in <laughs> terms of like like the Just way they're bad. playing and having like any perspective to actually put the points that are needed together to not get relegated there's zero reason to believe they're capable of that I, I don't disagree. Um, I'm really like trying to make excuses for Norwich at this point, and <laughs> like, I admit that. And I admit that I've got a bias there. 
Um, last thing I'll say about this game is like, there's a lot of the fan base, and this is an exhausting subject that says Josh Sargent doesn't score goals, therefore he sucks as a striker. And it really is like, it's difficult to watch these games and it's difficult to watch him in two seasons where his role on the field is better served as a guy who can receive the ball and actually keep the attack, keep the attack alive because that's where the team is so anemic than the guy who's finishing things off. I would much rather that he's in the position that team Pookie is in, but he's not. And there's very little service into Josh Sargent. And there's also, um, the team is just like straight up not capable of generating offense, so he'll find himself open on many plays, and the team will elect to serve a ball over the end line instead of just passing it to feet uh, towards Josh. And it's, I don't think it's going to be a good thing for him in his U.S. men's national team career, and I don't think it's necessarily going to be a good thing in his club career because he's going to be a less and less enticing prospect to other teams. But in my eyes, the dude has the skill. It's just he's perpetually in unfortunate situations. Yeah, it's uh, it's difficult for him. Um, there's not much that's going to be done about this in the near future whatsoever. So it's hard to, to speak to, but I, I do hope that he ends up getting some chances in front, in front of goal and putting them away sooner rather than later. Yeah, uh, I agree. Yeah, he's, he is, his skill set is, I think, undeniable, um, unless you just want to close your eyes. Uh, but yeah, on to uh, on to Brighton and Arsenal, which I don't believe was a very exciting game, but um, it might actually kind of be an indication of where both of these teams are are at currently. Uh, I kind of, in a funny way, take it as a positive for both. Arsenal kept a clean sheet and didn't like shoot themselves in the foot, so that's good for them they struggle yep. to do that type of thing um more often maybe they don't deserve to be pra- praised for something so typical and mundane but um i don't know they don't do it enough and then brighton just they keep stitching it together Graham potter great coach uh they're yeah. silently they're silently tied for third on points yeah, they have 14 points. Like, and and nobody, we haven't been raving about them that much. Nobody's been raving about them as much as Brentford. Like, well, we respect uh, Graham Potter, and we think that they they play well and, and don't do anything too outside of their ability, but grind out consistent results and seem to have a very clear plan, and all the players seem to understand what their roles are, which ends up getting places more often than not. Uh yeah, it's it, it's kind of weird to see, and we'll we'll talk about this like in the power rankings, or maybe not in the power rankings as much as kind of how the table sits right now, because uh, things can be like are Brighton a little bit like above, too far up in the table compared to where we would we would expect them or think they are relative to their skill. Uh, yeah, I, I guess I don't have too much to say on the game itself because well, it was a zero zero draw. Mm-hmm. But yeah, do you have anything to add for this game? No, it's just Brighton is silently one of the best teams in the EPL, and yeah. it's very silent. I don't know if I've seen a team this silently be tied for third in points. Yes, just like just like my farts. Yeah, just like Everton. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, should have saved that one for Everton. Um, yeah. So yeah, on to uh, on to Crystal Palace and Leicester. Uh, 
I don't know if I said the thing again where I was like, Wesker's class is going to show, but I feel like I might as well have because I felt it. Uh, Lester gave up these points at the end of the day. Yeah, Lester did give up those points. Um, they're giving up points to teams that they can't afford to be giving up points to, and um, they're not posturing themselves well at all. Um, they, I don't know what else to say aside that they, aside from they should have won, and the woes that they're having are almost entirely defensive related, considering they've scored goals in every game. Yeah. Yeah, they need to they need to stitch that up at the back. I don't know. You had suggested maybe it had to do with some some midfield stuff. I think at one point, or we were just more talking like, why? What is it that's going on with them? Because personnel wise, in those positions, they look to be fairly strong, but it's just not. They're not keeping a consistent, you know, consistently clean at the back. So yeah, so Yonshu was like one of the most. Um, he was like an emerging player last year, and if they if they wanted to sell him, they probably could have sold him for some fat stacks. It wasn't in their model, and it was never a practical thing that they were going to do. But his form and his value has dropped off significantly, and I I almost wondered if it was like a hangover from the Euros because Turkey performed so poorly. Um, but they they're not getting it right in the back, and they have the personnel to get it right. The only bright spot in this team is Jamie Vardy, who is tied with Salah for a leading goal scorer in the league. Yeah. Um, and I guess we should give some credit to Palace. You know, they were able to get their way back into this game, and uh, they seem to have found their footing in the league a little bit. Um, I'm not yep. going to retract yep. yet that I think they're a risk for relegation or that I don't trust Patrick Vieira yet, but I do have to... Uh, admit it's looking like i may have to do that sooner rather than later (laughs) everything's changed since edward transfer yep yeah it really has uh we'll see where they end up maybe maybe by the end of the season and every time palace has to play somebody i'm going got to be careful about palace (laughs) so it it would be a great change and a big credit to patrick vera if he's able to get this team really firing they've got the people to do that too yeah Connor Gallagher. Uh, all right. On to Spurs and Villa. Um, so you had said something interesting to me here because so a lot of people typically don't, um, they don't like Eric Dyer that much. And not that you, I'm saying you like Eric Dyer, but you often highlight him as actually a, like, a spot of but stability comes from for Spurs, and yeah. um, I think a lot of people would take upset exception to that type of, type of classification for him. But I'm not sure it's incorrect within the uh, the current status of the Spurs squad, which is below you know where they had been in the last couple of seasons. But yeah, what is it about about Dyer? Do you think that actually is an asset to Spurs currently? It's a combination. Currently. Yeah, it's a combination of where Spurs are and Eric Dyer being, um, you know, grossly underappreciated. I'm not an Eric Dyer fan. Okay, like I, if I'm start if I'm building a team, Eric Dyer is not going to be in that team. Uh, but he's obviously trusted by club and country, and um, their record, uh, in some ways, is directly tied to his presence in games. I mean, there's been games where he started that he's come off. In the game that he actually came off injured, they ended up losing that game. I can't recall which one it was, but Eric Dyer um, 
and Spurs record are his presence on the field and their record are directly tied together. I think he gives them defensive stability. I think he gives them leadership. I think those things are grossly underrated, but he he gives them those things. And what's going on with Spurs and Dyer is very similar to what happened with Virgil Van Dyke last year in Liverpool. Now, like those players are not comparable, but the principles are very similar. If you lose stability on the defensive end of the field, especially through the middle of your defense, you become less able to generate offense. Um, the game is not as rigid as people would like to make it out to be that you have good forwards, you score goals. That's not how it works. Um, so that's why I think Dyer is valuable to Spurs. I will say that too many eggs in the Dyer basket. Yeah, you uh, don't. <laughs> that's, that's, those are some shitty eggs right there. Yeah, well, it's a shitty basket. It is. Um, yeah. And it's not sustainable, and he's battling off injury right now. Mm-hmm. So how long is that going to last? Yeah, I think it kind of is a state of Spurs as well. If we're sitting here being like, wow, having Eric Dyer there for some stability really helped him out. <laughs> you know, that uh, though it may be true within the current context is not exactly the place that you want to be. And as as you highlighted, it is not a sustainable, sustainable thing. Uh, Vi- Villa, though, here... Um, a lot of people were high in Villa coming into the season. There were a lot of people I was listening to saying that Villa was going to be a team that was like fighting with Leicester for that five spot. I mean, everyone had like the top four locked in, and then it was like Leicester's going to be five. And anyone who was bullish on a team was saying that, you know, their said club here is going to fight for less, fight with Leicester to be the five spot or they're going mm-hmm. to make Euros. And Villa are just like, they're underperforming. Like, I think the loss, um, the loss of their marquee player. Last yeah, season. Jack Grealish is a big deal. I wonder when you were when that would part would get brought up because they've made they made some really great moves in the off season. They got Leon People, Bailey. Yeah, uh, Emmanuel Buendia. That's uh, right. Was, you know, they it's they, they made they moves to offset the loss too. You know, that's right. And it, it's it's kind of amazing how integral uh, integral he was for them. Uh, and losing him to City was so so difficult. Uh, you know, Jack Grealish, hell of a player. And Villa are God, going into thinking about Spanish soccer too much. Aston Villa are, uh, you know, nothing better than a mid-tier team without him, basically. That's right. Let's see. Oh, man, this one was fun. Um, oh, yeah. Dude, Brentford does it again. Again. Especially West Ham away winning. Like West Ham's a good team. Yeah, this and is West not. Ham this is didn't real play a bad shit, game, man. Like yeah. they'd have been if they would have gotten a draw, I wouldn't be kind of raving like I am now. But I still would have been impressed, especially because it was only last week that they tied uh, Liverpool three three, right? Yeah, and like there's a difference between tying somebody three three and tying somebody nil nil. Like parking yeah. the bus and like trying not to get scored on is a lot different than being able to seek out goals when you need them. And and they can do that. And yeah, they can. And they're like, uh, uh, this is something I keep saying a lot, but they have a system. It's effective. Their players know their roles within the system and are comfortable executing. And then somehow they're able to consistently produce results and, uh, and put together performances and their form can build because there's a, a, an element of stability in terms of expectation of what the players are and everything. Uh, yeah, this is like Brentford is super impressive and it's great that promotion and relegation give this type of opportunity. 
uh, for teams. You, you just don't ever get these great storylines and a team that like had been doing things the right way, getting rewarded in the manner that Brentford is right now without giving them the opportunity to succeed. So this is, you know, this is all, it's just good shit right here. It's good shit. A whole bunch of people will have careers made by what's happening with Brentford, whether it's the players on the team that mm-hmm. are, you know, these diamonds in the rough or the coach, somebody's going to be walking away from this team or maybe Brentford will double down and invest. But Brentford no. is, someone's going to walk away from this thing, a hero. No, what you're what you're saying is is true, even extended to the backroom staff. Uh, we're talking scouting. We're talking the the GMs or or yeah. director of football, whatever you're going to call it over in England, um, and how they structure things slightly differently. But but anyways, the the point being is Brentford as an organization is fucking killing it, and gosh, we'd love to see more of that in the United States. I I agree. Um, something to note. Uh, Mikel Antonio doesn't score, and he concedes leading goal scorer to Salah and Vardy, who each who each score over the yeah, over and, match day seven. But what he does not concede is like the singularly most important player to their team. Trophy. No, I feel no, like I, that is his still currently. Yeah, um, Declan Rice might disagree, but I I do, uh, I, yeah. I I agree. Uh, you know, Declan. I mean. Again, West Ham played well. I mean, Declan Rice was intercepting the ball in Brentford's defensive third. They were doing the things they needed to do. That's what makes Brentford's win so impressive. It's not like West Ham did show up. Yeah, exactly. This is like they deserve the win. This isn't like, oh, look at that own goal. That was dumb. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, so now on to like the game of the weekend. The game of the season probably thus far. One of the best games I've gotten the chance to watch in a while. Liverpool 2, Manchester City 2. Oof. Like, I, you know, the first half was kind of slowish. It seemed like they were feeling each other out, but God damn, was that second half great. Yeah, I, I don't disagree. Um, the entire game was just in- incredibly engaging. You couldn't put your head down um, without missing something incredible. Um I, I want to talk more about, I want you to comment more about the game because like there are some things about formation that I, I want to discuss, but what else did you notice in the game, Ryan? Like what's out to you? Well, the, so the biggest thing that um, I started noticing, and I think this was very apparent to anybody that was watching uh, toward the end of the second half, whatever city were doing, they were absolutely shredding James Milner to the point where uh, I tweeted like, He's a liability. I wouldn't be surprised if Gomez got brought in. And that, that change didn't happen at halftime, which I'm still surprised it didn't happen. But what I'm more surprised about was the issues went away in the second half. So obviously Klopp knows what he's doing in terms of making adjustments at halftime because he didn't yeah. have to switch the personnel. He was able to get the tactics right to do whatever needed to be done to support James Milner. Um the intensity that this these type of games are played at the the pace um all of the precision passing that happens in these small areas and every little thing it feels like has to be has to be done at the highest level or you give advantage to the other team and that to me in a general sense is what stuck out the most it is just such such a pleasure to watch games games at this level. Um, in terms of the balance of the game, 
I don't know. I'm a, I'm a Liverpool fan, but I, I think I'm willing to say that Manchester City deserved it a little bit more than Liverpool. If you got to pick between them, I'll take a draw. Milliners deserve that second yellow. So you got, I got to feel fortunate about that in terms of like how the, the game was poised. Uh, Cause it would have changed completely if he would have been sent off. Um, but Liverpool's attack looks absolutely lethal at times in a, in a mm-hmm. way that uh, I haven't seen in a little while that, that Salah uh, or the Mane goal I'll go with first. Um, because the Solomon was just incredible, but the precision of the the movement there and um, the understanding between those two players, Salah makes a great run from half field to even get in a position to be able to play that ball. And God, the finish is ruthless. Everything about it is just, it's, it's so aesthetically pleasing to watch because the way they draw players out of position, the, the way that they dribble even in it, it's like they're, I don't know, man. They're just all, they're all so good. And watching the execution of that level is great. The Salah goal. Whew. I, I haven't seen a goal that good in a, in a while. And oh my, it's like he, he did that thing where he did the quick one, two touch and made Bernardo Silva fall over and pop the ball up into the air slightly. He is incredible. Yeah. I, I wonder if, I wonder if Guardiola was, gave him, gave Klopp the old, like, well, only Messi can do that. So uh, you can have that one. <laughs> or if he was still railing against the injustice of the not getting a second yellow for Miller. Yeah. <laughs> um, in terms of, um, in terms of the way that these guys played uh, on paper, it looks like they both played four, three threes. But if you know anything about these guys' coaching philosophy, it's, it, there's a lot more going on there. Um, Liverpool play like a much, uh, they play a press. Uh, it's a pretty aggressive press. Like part of the way that they generate offense is by doing a very um, skilled press where people are moving at the right time to react to the first person who initiates the press. I mean, it's it's very well orchestrated. And City play much more of like a all forwards, no forwards, all midfields, no midfields type of 4-3-3. Um, but either way, I think games like these are an opportunity to see coaching philosophies combat one another because the players are of the highest level and they're able to execute their coach's game plan to perfection. And so it's almost more of a matter of a battle of the coaches than it is the players. And I, that's what I really enjoyed about this game. It's like, what is the press, the gang implex of how do you, it's a gang gang press. Yeah. What is what does that look like versus this possession game that City tried to play, and that's what stood out to me. And it was a treat to watch. Yeah, and and it's not that City doesn't press either, because that is that's just part of the modern game. Uh, they just don't do it as an ex, as explicitly as a form of offensive production as Klopp does. Generally speaking, he Klopp really believes in the chaos that the press brings and that those turnovers and everything. I think he said things in the past where it's like that is the number 10, the, the turnover generation of a four, three, three in, in a high press is the number 10, the creative source. Yeah. Um, whereas city will press, but their number 10 isn't even one player. They, they get that creative force from multiple guys dropping into the hole to receive possession and rotate. And this, this beautiful orchestration and, 
and all the um, the positional movement and it, it is it is great to see these conflicting it's weird to say conflicting style because it's not like offense versus defense you know it's just like one philosophy of offensive production versus another philosophy of offensive production that kind of epitomizes what the current you know bleeding edge development is in soccer tactics right now and them just getting to butt heads with these ultra talented players that can execute to perfection as you stated yeah it's this is why we love the game yeah it it made me definitely reflect on and i don't want to make this about uh the u.s men's national team but like if if any team was playing liverpool or man city um less less chelsea really and chelsea is like the only exception but they don't even play a 4-3-3 teams would elect to play a different formation to manage being pressed or managed uh, a circumstance in which they needed to congest the midfield to even manage like what Man City might be throwing at them. And the way that these teams are playing, therefore 3-3 require advanced tactics and require the players know exactly what they're supposed to be doing at certain times. And um, it's interesting to see Burhalter roll out a 4-3-3 that adopts neither of the principles that these teams are showing. Like Burhalter is not a guy who wants to press and the talent that he's deploying isn't uh, appropriate talent to play the type of possession ball that City's well, I mean, playing. He does want to. He does want to press, right? That's like part of his philosophy. I thought the contention recently was that Berhalter just doesn't want like like there's something about the f- center forward not being as big of the pressing trigger. I think it's just a nuanced thing for his preference within within the pressing system. I yeah, I think you are right about that. So. But I think it's fair to to question why you would want to implement a system in the Nash on the national team level that requires so much nuance. Yeah, and training and like understanding between the players and trust and everything. All systems have these things to a certain extent, but it becomes to a prohibitive extent in or in terms of implementation ability if we're talking about um the amount of time that you actually have with the national team and you know we, we shouldn't make it too much into the the US national team thing here but i'll just say that there's some there's some pig-headedness in terms of being able to relinquish what your favorite toy is and figure out what toy might work better for the kids you're playing with now. But um, yeah, on to, on to Mohamed Salah and being tied with Jamie Vardy for the leading scorer in the EPL. Uh, oh, yeah. And maybe the most Salah conversation in general, because so he hit that 100 EPL goal mark and I think legacy conversations with Salah are kind of starting to happen a little bit. This guy is phenomenal. Um, sheer numbers of scoring, unbelievable. Uh, he very rarely is injured. And he scores absolutely worldy, legendary goals, like one a year at least. Um I wonder how we're going to end up remembering him. Is he going to be remembered as one of the best players from this EPL or yeah, from this EPL generation? Yeah, he probably will be. He's definitely on paper one of the most statistically effective. 
Yeah, it's. I think what's baffling for me, at least, about him, and we can, I guess, move on after uh, after this and get into what we're how we view the league as it sits currently. But he comes from a wide position, and he's got some of the best goal scoring numbers in league history, but coming from kind of an untraditional area. Some of this might be uh, the. Um, a reflection of kind of how the league has moved along and like where offense is generated from slightly differently than it was before. But I think it also just shows how much of a unique figure he is and that what he does is actually probably a little bit more special than the majority of fans give credit for. Yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't disagree. Um, his ability to stay healthy is also something that goes totally yeah. underappreciated. It's amazing. Like most dudes that play winger position get nicked up a little more often than he does. The guy hardly ever has soft tissue injuries. Yeah, he's, uh, he's incredible, incredible yeah, player. Yeah, but but uh, so now we're gonna get into a little bit of the like the roundup of how the league is sitting currently. Um, who do we think is? better than their position in the table who's worse uh we'll get some some alex weinstein power rankings up in here nice and uh discuss the 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 relegation battle so um without going ad nauseum here and just listing every single team in order with how many points they have and their goal difference and whatnot let's just highlight a few things um who is better than their position would currently indicate do you think yeah for me um west ham is better than their position currently indicates they crushed leicester they lost to a very hot brentford team but they also beat manchester united and to me west ham is just a team that has an identity they're currently sitting at ninth in the table with 11 points um but they're three point they're three points behind one win behind um what's otherwise tied for third yeah, so not not too far off it, and the differentiation between the teams obviously doesn't come until we get more results in. But yeah, I, I agree with that. I think West Ham is not going to finish the league as low as ninth. I agree. Uh, yeah. And then we both put Leicester down here, um, mm-hmm. and I think a lot of the things probably we touched on, but uh, they're sitting in thirteen currently on eight points after seven games minus three goal difference (laughs) that doesn't read well um they're better than this right yeah um they need to get their defensive woes hashed out and i think they've got the personnel and the coaching staff to do it um i would be much more concerned if they weren't scoring goals but they they have the leading goals they have the leading goal scorer yeah, who just like doesn't slowing down at all. Jamie Vardy just loves a party. Yeah, he's one of the uh, most. He's probably one of the more underappreciated players of this generation. Yeah, and uh, we both had we listed Le- Lester because I think it's fairly obvious they're they're behind here. You've got uh, one more though. Yeah, I do. So I think Leeds is uh, is kind of you know better than their position would indicate and. God, I hope this ends up being the case by the end of the season. But they are in 16th right now. Only one win, three points above straight up as many points as Burnley and Newcastle. Uh, they're they're better than this. We're going to see them end up higher than this. 
last season they got um what was it they were right ahead of they were right ahead of Everton, right? They were in ninth and Everton were in tenth. I wonder if they're gonna get that far up the table this year, honestly. But sixteenth, they're they're not this bad. They're gonna get to twelfth at least, I think. Yeah, I wouldn't be surprised to see him moving on up. It's uh yeah. It's it's just weird to after how well they did last season. Um you really haven't seen them them get their feet under them quite yet this year. So maybe this win they'll kick on, have a have a nice little break for the international break and then uh you know, see what they got afterward. Uh let's get into who we think is worse than their position in the table. Um yeah, uh I've got Manchester United. Um they tied an injured Everton team. They lost to Aston Villa. They lost to West Ham. They haven't even gotten into their more more difficult games, and I don't expect them to win those games in their current form. Um, so they've had a little bit of a cupcake schedule, and they haven't been able to muscle out the results. But uh, more importantly, um, they sit at fourth in the table when you mm-hmm. consider all factors. And their performance and what's happened on that team, to me, is like a lot worse than a fourth-place valuation. Yeah. No, I, I think it's it's crazy to think that that based upon Manchester United's performances, they're probably not the fourth best team in this in this league currently. Uh, and the power rankings actually kind of give some insight into this type of thought as well. But yeah, that's a wild one, man. That's a shout to be like, oh man, United just they aren't quite a, even a good as a fourth place team, but. We had them in coming into the season as being one of the teams that would fight with the top four. Yeah, and, and the Oli coaster just doesn't let you stay at the top of the table. They're not a top tier team. It's as simple as that. Like yeah. in terms of players and salary, and they are a top four team. They might be the best team in the league in terms of players and salaries, but in terms of performance, they're not even in the top tier. Yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a wild discrepancy there. Um, they they have some work to do if they want to become what what they want to be they really do want to become so watch this space because things with united if they don't if they don't start meeting some expectations it's going to be an uncomfortable place um, i don't disagree who do you have for uh, uh so i actually think that everton to take a dig at you slightly, I guess. It's all good. Can't promise I'm not going to disagree. Yeah, no. Are are worse than their. Um, it's probably so eager why you were like, hey, what do you have? Uh, why they're. I think they're a little bit above where they're going to end up finishing. I think their performances have been really good, but do I think, uh, all things considered, Everton are the fifth best team in the EPL right now? No, probably not. Yeah, I think they're I, more into the seventh, eighth range. Who do you think is better than them? That's not currently. That's right not there. currently above them. Um, mm-hmm. Good question. I, I think that uh, probably Spurs and Arsenal. Yeah, safe answer for sure. Um, that's yeah. funny that you say Spurs because I've got Spurs as one of my teams that's in a worse position than they sit in the table, and they currently sit at eighth in the table. Um, their goal yeah, differentials worse than eighth. Oh yeah, their goal differentials uh, not good, but they've played some tough teams. No, um, they're fragile. The, Tottenham is extremely fragile. They have some weird locker room stuff going on. Um, I think 
Nuno is a great coach, but um, the media isn't helping him out at all. But as we saw with Eric Dyer, they're one Eric Dyer injury away from a total free fall. Yeah. uh, And, and I took, I, it's weird because I just get done saying that, you know, I think Tottenham's going to be better than Everton, but I'm not like, I don't think the logic of your argument is flawed by any means. I, um, I just actually expect Tottenham to kind of like cream rise to the top type of shit. You know, they're going to, they got good players. They have a pretty competent coach. If they keep going, they should end up grinding out results that are in line with all of, with their quality uh, and why I would put them higher up. But yeah, seeing a a world in which Tottenham, um, does kind of fall apart and ends up finishing in a real shitty spot. It's not, it's not an impossible world to picture. And then, uh, I'm going to get my last one here. I think, and don't hate me people because we love Brentford, but I think Brentford is a, um, is currently in the higher up in the table than, than they probably will actually end up. Seventh is punching punching high for Brentford. And I think that if they end up settling down into like 11th to 9th or even as low as 12th or so, it's going to be considered just an absolutely phenomenal season for them anyways. Yeah, it's crazy to say that like, hey man, I think Brentford's going to get worse and finish in the top half of the league. It's kind of crazy to say that. (laughs) It is crazy to say, God, they've been playing so well recently. It's just, I don't think it's going to be like this the entire year for them. I think that they'll They've been injured too. They've been unhealthy. So they're like not even playing at full strength, which is just insane. Yeah. Like, but who, who really knows of them? Like I, I didn't watch them enough previously to know what their team is supposed to look like or what they're exactly trying to do. I love what I'm seeing recently. I just can't imagine that they're actually going to end up being the seventh best team in the league. It'd be incredible. Um, yeah. And now into a brief uh, assessment of what the relegation battle is looking like here. Um, I think we, we kind of are saying Norwich is the worst. They don't really have much hope. I, I can't, can you even like put together a plausible scenario where they don't get relegated? Uh, yeah. Um, well, if you look at the point system, they're not like, they're not that far off. So like the non, the team that's not getting relegated has four points and Norwich has one. So they, they, they win a game and the other teams don't win games. They're like out of the, they're out of relegation zone. Um, I mean, they're still like flirting with it. They're not, producing enough points to not have to worry about it. But we have to keep in mind that they had the hardest stretch of the year to begin with. And they've been without their best player. Um, who's like an integral piece of the puzzle. So yeah, Norwich looked destined to drop. They look like absolute dog shit, but they have, there are, there's nuance that would afford them the ability to not totally um, tank. Well, yeah. And I mean, a few big results almost at any point in the season for any of the teams hanging around the relegation show, uh, Zone is make or break. For me, it's most it's more about and and I do I do take the consideration of that their competition, especially right at the beginning, was very difficult as significant. But I just haven't seen anything from them, even the games where they've played the weaker teams recently, that they're capable of of really like not getting scored on, first of all. I don't disagree. And, and like consistently producing enough chances to to be in games 
yeah, right now you're right. It's only it's only three points to Southampton, but I I really I'd like to see them do something that makes me feel like they're capable of getting three points before I say they're they can even do they could catch Southampton. I yeah. mean, we're all these seven games in, so this talk is a little hyperbolic. No, but, like, I, but I, and I want to be real. Like I, I watched their most recent game, and I thought to myself that an MLS team might be able to beat them. That's how bad it was, and I would yeah. never say that. Yeah, you said it but out, I just out loud. No, yeah, now it's recorded. <laughs> Take it back. <laughs> um. All right, so um, bring somebody else up if you think so, but I uh. I didn't list somebody here. Newcastle, I don't think they're particularly convincing. I'm not seeing them being capable of winning games. I think their three points have come from three draws. They get scored on a lot. They, once again, a couple of results do make a big difference. But as things sit and how much they have, or what they've shown thus far this year, it's hard to believe that they have it in them too to win those, to win, get, win a game yet. I gotta, I gotta see a win first, Newcastle. Yeah. Uh, Newcastle's not strong. Um, they're not scoring goals. It's as simple as that. And then, um, the other team that's currently in the relegation zone and maybe they'll say there, maybe they won't is Burnley. We all know Burnley, you know, they're gonna, they're gonna fight and, and maybe they're gonna get, they're gonna get some results sometimes, but, Similar to Newcastle, they you you just you see them struggling to get points. They've you know same thing with Newcastle as Newcastle where they have tied three games to get their three points. Um, wins are huge, especially for staying up because of the number of points it it generates from that just that one game. So Burnley, you're gonna have to you're gonna have to snake a few wins if you want to stay up and. They'll find a way to snake a few wins. If anyone's good for snaking a few wins, it's Burnley. <laughs> Sean Dyche and, and his crew. They know a guy. They know <laughs> a mechanic. Um, yeah, and then the other teams that I want to highlight as as being uh, need to be wary, at least, are first off, Southampton. Um, and then I skipped over Leeds, actually, because I feel like they'll just they're going to rack it up the table here a little bit. And then Watford and Crystal Palace. I think we can, I can safely say Das champions uh, as a unit feels like Watford is going to also move up the table. we like the Ranieri appointment. We think it gives them some, some positive trajectory. Uh, yeah. And, and maybe t- talking about them in the relegation conversation right now isn't. isn't Watford, as, are, Watford are probably going to be safe. I think. Yeah. Well, they and they are scoring goals. Um, the, Sar has been has been pretty good so far this year. Um, picking up, uh, gosh, what's the player's name? From, Sissoko from, as you had pointed out earlier in in our I podcast. Bet Spurs wish they still had him. <laughs> Probably, man. Holy crap! Uh, but that kind of guy is going to really, really help with, with staying up good experienced player of quality in the, in, in the central midfielders can be a big difference maker in these situations. Uh, so yeah, Watford pretty good. Crystal palace beginning of the turn, the quarter, maybe I don't trust them. I think you might trust them a bit more than I do. Um, yeah, I, I think since they've signed Edward, they're generating offense. I think crystal palace will be okay. Um, there's teams that are far worse that I'd be concerned about 
Yeah, um, so I think that team is what Southampton mostly is, is who we see hanging around there with not much evidence to uh, say, eh, no, 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 it should be fine, because they, they'll they do some things, and they'll get, like, a, you know, get a point for against a team maybe you think they shouldn't have gotten it, but then they will just get absolutely smoked other times. Yeah, I, I think, like, this relegation conversation is, like, really, for me, it's looking like Southampton, Burnley, Newcastle, and Norwich. Yeah, currently, as it says, I, I agree with that. And uh, unless something else happens, it's it's uh, it's hard to predict who else is going to be flirting with that until we get you know more games in and go, holy crap, it's been 11 games and Crystal Palace hasn't won yet. Something like that is what has to happen uh, for the picture to, to clean up more. So, yeah, we'll, we'll revisit this the next time it, it feels... Um, it feels right and see kind of at that milestone where the relegation battle sits and how how things have developed but now uh onto the the power rankings here um give me the breakdown yeah it's pretty simple um i've categorized the teams into three categories a b and c um a is like your top tier b is your second tier and, and c is your final tier or your lower tier and um, in tier A, and this is the order in which I have the teams, I've got Chelsea, Poole, and City. Um, in tier B, I've got Everton, Brighton, West Ham, Brentford, and, and then United, closing it out. And then in tier C, I've got Tottenham and Arsenal. Um, but the, these are the, the power rankings literally as they're listed is who I have from top to bottom. We'll publish these. Um, we'll share them on social so you guys can see them and then hate on us. Um, yeah, it's probably egregious that I have United as the eighth strongest team in the EPL right now, but that's genuinely where I think they stand, all things given. Um, but yeah, to repeat it, it's Chelsea, Poole, City, Everton, Brighton, West Ham, Brentford, United, Tottenham, and Arsenal. Yeah, and you know what the thing I want to pick on more than the United's positioning is actually the fact that Brentford isn't above West Ham having just beaten them. <laughs> that's the, that's like the only thing that I'd like to pick on. Dude, and I am happy. I, I might I might have to revise that. I'm, I'm probably going <laughs> to highlight that and swap it. Um, I think but, that's fair game. I think it's fair game, man. And I think if you're applying the logic based on how the most recent performance went, that's exactly what needs to be done. I probably I, will I, end up swapping those two. Well, and I think it's interesting to um, to think about like why maybe that is a reasonable thing to to say while still keeping United in that eighth spot. Because I'm almost like, okay, if each of these teams next to one another played each other, like what would be the expected result, kind of? And when I you when I slap United next to Brentford in the lower end of your B tier here, man, I don't. I don't feel confident saying you know, it's going to go out and fucking win that game, especially not going to, they're not going to crush that team at all. So if I had to bet my life on it, I would absolutely bet on United and I would feel like the entire time my life is in jeopardy. <laughs> oh yeah. That'd be horrifying. I, I also want to point out what is a very interesting thing here. Um, so you have your three elite teams, right? Chelsea pool city, I think most people would say they are in a category amongst them or unto their own currently. The sequ the ordering of these might be slightly different from person to person, but all the teams that you have in between United and City are teams that I would consider to be exceptionally well coached and organized. And the same thing I keep harping on about 
they have a system. The players know the system. They look comfortable in the system. They know what their jobs are. Those are all advantages that they have over United in a big, big way. And it helps highlight what United's biggest issue is right here. It's Ole Gunnar Skullshire and his inability to do the things that are getting done at these four teams that you put above them. I don't disagree. Um, this is the beautiful thing about soccer is coaching. This is, It's evidence that coaching matters. And, you know, I know I hate on Burr Halter a lot. And I hate on a lot of like what happens in the U.S. men's national team. But coaching is is absolutely critical. And the, a coach is probably more important than any other player you could possibly put on the field. Um, so, yeah, these these teams, Everton, Brighton, West Ham, Brentford, they're all, they're all, I mean, I don't know who Brentford's coach is. I don't know what his history is, but I know West Ham, Ever- Brighton, Everton, yep. you know, City Pool, Chelsea, they all have fantastic coaches. And I know that United is supposed to be in the A tier and they're not. And the thing that separates them from everybody else on this list is their coach. Mm-hmm. Less, yeah. less and, Arsenal. And those teams that are in the A tier that have all the money like United do, they also have the coaches and the systems and the, and the continuity. Um, and that's why they're elite is because they, they got the elite players and they got the, they're, they're doing the right thing with those players for the most part. I agree. And then, yeah, Tottenham and Arsenal kind of rounded out the end of that. I think that's a really, that's fair. Like it, and the order of those, I don't pick on too much currently. I think Spurs at top probably on recent results is right. But yeah, that's a, you know, this is, I I, kind of hate on power rankings, but I find this to be an interesting way to frame conversations. Yeah. I mean, we'll see how much hate, how much hate we get on social media. It will be proportional to how interesting this conversation is. (laughs) Yeah, that's true. So anybody that's listening, check it out. This will probably get posted on social media in the next little bit here. um, Or maybe at the time the podcast is getting put up, don't exactly know yet, but look out for it. And, uh, and yeah, let us know what you think. Let us know why Alex is, is uh, a brilliant, brilliant analyst or just, you know, you're, Friggin' moron. Yeah, we got got another one for the bin. Um, yeah, we'd love to hear from from everyone though, and uh, especially if you got something like different to say, or um, you know, something maybe you think we didn't think about. I, I'd love to hear it. Uh, so yeah, I I think that basically does it for for this week. Um, our next episode is going to be coming out tomorrow. Actually, we, uh, usually we're doing a Tuesday, Thursday thing, but us men's national team is upon us once again, and we need to adapt and, uh, get you guys, get you guys a content for before the game with enough time to, to listen to it. So, so look out for that. Um, yeah, that's, and that's the big thing happening in the next little bit is Thursday. We got the U.S. men's national team playing at 645. We're going to go over that in great detail tomorrow. So um, that's going to be a, a, a ton of fun and kind of what we're going to be concentrating on for the next little bit because, you know, it's international break time. Uh, once again, I want to remind everyone to check us out on social media. Uh, let us know what you think of the pod. Um, give us some food for thought. We you know, love hearing your guys' perspectives. And uh, other than that, I'm Ryan Tooney, and uh, he 
is and continues to be Alex Weinstein, <laughs> <laughs> uh, at least, you know, until later or on the weekends. Yeah, uh, I'll be a monkey's uncle when I post these power rankings. <laughs> uh, well, have a great night, everybody, and uh, we'll catch you again later. Bye-bye.